Howdy friends, this is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 83 of The Popecast, the only podcast about popes where you'll find non-boring stories on the successors of St. Peter, and a reminder that all the world's problems have happened plenty of times before. Okay gang, it's almost Christmas time. Do you and or your loved ones smell like Christmas yet? Do you want to? Or at least you want to smell like baptism or juniper berry or something else wonderful like that? Well, the answer, in case you're wondering, is yes. I have it on good authority. So that's why you should definitely head over to catholicbalm.co to check out all their great stuff from beard balms, lotion bars, deodorant, lip balm, and more. And I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some Christmas-themed items cropping up here soon. So when you do, also be sure to enter the word POPE at checkout, P-O-P-E, at checkout for 10% off your entire order. So once more, that's catholicbalm.co and the word POPE at checkout. Thanks again to Catholic Balm Co. for sponsoring the Popecast. So today's episode is about a Pope who's probably easy to overlook. He only reigned for a short time. We don't know all that much about him, and he isn't remembered as a saint, a canonized one anyways. And yet, he dabbled in plenty of important things and did all right. This week on the Popecast, it's the obscure Pope who did just fine. Number 78, Pope Donus. Pope Donus is one of those quintessential earliest church post-Roman Empire popes. We know precious little about his life, both pre-papacy and while he was in office. He didn't reign for very long, and he took up the banner of fighting off some pesky Christological heresies, those that disputed something of the true nature of Jesus Christ as Son of God and began to crop up around the 4th and 5th centuries. Now, the first two of those don't make for very interesting podcasting, granted, but the third one never disappoints. The same goes for the churchy drama of the day and what we can glean from the age about how the office of the papacy was thought of by the Pope's contemporaries, and so that's where we start our story with Donus. He was born sometime in the early 600s and was a Roman by birth, the son of a man named Maurice. Donus was elevated to the papacy as a relatively old man, being chosen to replace Pope St. Adiodatus II on November 2nd, 676, some four months after the former pope had died. The surroundings in which Donus found himself in those days were not for the faint of heart. Rome was a burnt-out husk of its former self. The empire had officially crumbled and moved eastward during the lifetime of St. Gregory the Great a century earlier, and, as Eric John writes in his concise biographical history of the popes, quote, the once-proud capital of the world had shrunk from being a city of over a million to a city of 30,000 people, end quote. As a result, the papacy took on a decidedly more civil role in addition to its spiritual responsibilities in those days, when the emperors in far-off Constantinople tried to position itself as the so-called New Rome and exercise undue influence over both pope and doctrine at various times. It was both the infrastructure of the Catholic Church across nations and the man at the helm of the bark of Peter that were able to rebuild the Western world and help build the foundation that would usher in the high Middle Ages centuries later. Now, this sometimes looked as seemingly mundane as just making sure there was enough food in Rome and rebuilding and restoring churches that had been destroyed or pillaged in any of the Eternal City's barbarian invasions. Other times, it was simply taking care of the clergy, including at times reminding rogue bishops who the boss really was and putting them in their place, as charitably as possible, of course. And still other times, usually after the kids had sufficiently beaten each other up in the proverbial backyard boxing ring, the Bishop of Rome would pull out those keys to the kingdom and act as final arbiter in theological disputes that definitively changed the course of history in many cases, even at times when a vast majority was against him. 
Amazingly, Donus was able to check all three of those boxes despite being in office less than 18 months. He was especially known for his restoration of churches around Rome, particularly for having added a beautiful marble floor in the atrium of the old St. Peter's Basilica, and others he had restored were the church of St. Euphemia and the famed Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls. Donus was also well respected for how he treated his clergy, having bestowed various honors and generosity upon them, such that, at least given the credit the Pope gets from his biographers, that it was to a degree that was unusual in those days. But it wasn't all fun and games for every priest or bishop. Two popes prior, during the pontificate of Pope St. Vitalian in the 660s, the Archbishop of Ravenna had declared himself autocephalous, basically outside of the purview of the Pope, and claiming that he was his own boss as a result. Vitalian had ordered Morris, the Archbishop at the time, to justify himself, but was ignored, setting off a nasty chain of events that saw Morris and Vitalian excommunicate one another. Only one was legit, of course. But then the Emperor also sided with Morris to boot. Morris ended up dying just before the election of Adiodatus II, so it seems that Pope may have primed the pump with this new Archbishop, who was aptly named Reparatus, setting up Donus to accept the latter's return to obedience to the Holy See, thus ending the short-lived schism with Ravenna. On the theological front, the only tangible action Donus is recorded to have uh, taken was dispersing a group of Nestorian monks who were residing at a Roman monastery called Boetianum. Some may recall the Nestorian heresy was condemned a couple of centuries earlier at the Council of Chalcedon in the 400s, after claiming there were effectively two Christs, the divine one and the human one, two persons instead of just one person in the Son of God. And, as a result that Mary was simply Christotokos, Christ-bearer, instead of her proper title of Theotokos, or God-bearer. At any rate, Donus ordered the monks to be spread amongst various other Roman monasteries in hopes of effecting their conversion to the Orthodox belief, and in the meantime gave Boetiana Monastery to another order. His only other recorded dalliance with heresy was one that was much newer, monothelitism in particular, but he wouldn't live long enough to do much on that front. It was well known by that point that the East was rife with monothelites, those who believed incorrectly that Christ had but one will, as opposed to possessing both a divine and a human will. This was the same heresy, uh, by the way, that got Pope Honorius I in a bit of hot water a few decades earlier, as we've discussed on past episodes. But at any rate, the new Byzantine emperor, Constantine IV, wanted to make nice with Rome after having watched his dad, the previous emperor, Constance, brutally persecute anyone who spoke out against monothelitism up to, and including assassinating the last martyred pope, St. Martin I, who we covered in episode 31. Constantine IV expressed support for the Orthodox position at some risk to himself, in particular setting off the Patriarch of Constantinople, but he stood firm. The emperor, having interacted with Donus's two immediate predecessors and established a decent working relationship, sent a letter to our pope inviting him to convene an ecumenical council to decide the matter once and for all, addressing him as, quote, the most holy and blessed archbishop of our ancient Rome and the universal pope, end quote. Just one problem. There was a new man on the chair of St. Peter by the time the letter arrived. Pope Donus had died on April 11, 678, and was replaced by Pope St. Agatho two months later, who would receive the letter that August and reply with, I'm paraphrasing here, I'm game. Agatha would pick up where Donus left off, and after a few regional meetings to test the waters, he convened the Third Council of Constantinople just two years later. Pope Donus, for his part, was buried in Old St. Peter's Basilica following his death. 
having reigned for just one year, five months, and nine days. In terms of a legacy, there unfortunately just isn't much of one in the case of our Pope today. But thankfully, being a faithful steward of the office to which he was entrusted, even if it was only 17 months, still counts for something. And that's as good a legacy as any in our book. Well, that's it for the story of the obscure Pope who did just fine. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, especially if you're a new listener. Please, either way, if you haven't already, leave us a rating and a review over at iTunes. We always love to read those out on the show whenever possible. Also, thank you again to all of our patrons. Without you guys, we could do none of this. A uh, special shout out to Rebecca, one of our longest tenured patrons. Um, we saw that this week, so thanks for the, the comment and the bump. Um, the podcast will always be free to listen to, but your patronage, of course, helps to cover the various costs that come with producing a show like this. Producing the show is not free. So if you'd like to join the community and help ensure that the podcast is around long into the future, you can visit Patreon um, slash the podcast. That's patreon.com slash the podcast. So as we head out today, let us pray in thanksgiving for the faithful service of Pope Donus and others like him, whether clergy, religious, or laymen and women, whose memories are mostly lost to history, that we might remember that the reason we are here is nevertheless through their efforts. And as always, never forget that although these are strange times we live in, they are no stranger than an age's past. Until next time. Thank you.